Welcome to the Property CEO Podcast, your inside track to the world of property, with your hosts, Ian Child and Richie Clapson. Hello and welcome to Property CEO Podcast. My name is Richie Clapson and I'm here with Ian Child. Hello everyone. And today I'm really excited because we're going to be talking to a very experienced property developer, aren't we? That's right, Richie. I've managed to persuade my business partner, Simon Boyden, to share the benefit of his, uh, well, quarter of a century or so of development experience uh, with us. He's going to be letting us in on the key things that he's learned that he thinks will help other developers, particularly those perhaps um, getting into development for the first time. That's fantastic. So, I have to say, uh, I like Simon a lot. And if I'm honest, I was, uh, you know, I was a bit reassured to find out that there was another rational human being out there that had decided to go into business with you. To be fair, it was a big relief for me, I can tell you. What, you thought that you might have been the only one mad enough? Yeah, well, to be honest, not everyone would better put up with, the, you know, your fragile ego, the temper tantrums, all those hissy fits. Right. And, oh, of course, you're forgetting about the uh, the poor parking skills and the, uh, oh, and the fish and shit habit. I- I- exactly. In fact, I still remember the the first time I met Simon. We were due to be meeting a commercial broker, as I recall, yeah, you know, right. yeah, yeah. and you driven him there. I had. I can still remember his fear-ridden face, as white as a sheet, as he <laughs> staggered from your parked car and lurched the half mile or so to the pavement. Yeah, it's not. It's not really funny anymore, is it? Really? I mean, to be honest, I'm not sure it was. It was funny the first time. Uh, to be honest, one minor, I was very minor parking transgression uh, back in the dim and distant, and now you've got me marked down as the world's worst parker. I never said that. You know, I actually think it's rather charming. I think it's good to have a few personal trademarks that people recognise you for. Well, that's that's all well and good, but I, I wasn't really planning for my, my personal brand to be synonymous with bad parking and fast food. Yeah, but don't knock it. You know, it could be good for business. You could get sponsored by Harry Ramston's, and, uh, you, know, you know, that could be really lucrative. I mean, you never know. Maybe even get sponsored by Helford's. Okay, why would I get sponsored by Halfords? Well, your passengers will need to buy a bike after you parked so they can get to the curb. And Halfords sell bikes, they love it. Do you know, it really, I just, just, something just struck me how um, you can like some business partners (laughs) more than others. Funny that, isn't it? You're telling me, you know. (laughs) It's true that NCP have insisted that you have to buy two parking tickets now for every time you use two bays that you park. Is that not true? (laughs) In fact, I've got I've got a better idea. In fact, I've got a top tip for everyone. Uh, if you're going to have two business partners, I think it's a really, really good idea to make sure that your business partners have got kind of diverse personal attributes. So they need to, to be sitting at the opposite ends of the spectrum. So let me just give you a little bit of an example, um, uh, plucking this out of thin air. We're about to hear from a business partner of mine called uh, Simon. Now, let me think. Simon is... Tall, polite, uh, slim, uh, able to be taken on long car journeys without getting bored and chewing the dashboard. Uh, What else can he do? He can also drive past car dealerships without buying a car. I don't always buy. (laughs) Test drive. And uh, he can eat in restaurants without insulting the staff. Now, don't tell me that you can't do that. True. Uh, Or hoovering up the entire dessert menu. Oh, you've got to have a dessert. And now, in contrast... I'd like you to meet Richie. <laughs> it's a bit uncalled for, isn't it? I knew where you were going, but it's not nice. You're just like a one-armed waiter, aren't you? What do you 
mean? Well, you can dish it out, but you can't take it back. Okay, now, I think here, I just need to just jump in here and apologise to any one-armed waiters in our audience. You know, my co-presenter has been under a lot of pressure lately and he doesn't know what he's talking about. So regular <laughs> listeners will know that this isn't the first time this has happened. Well, both of our regular listeners will be, will be excited to learn that in season two of the Property CEO podcast, we'll be featuring a new slot called Grill Richie. Uh, we're going to douse you in lighter fluid and flick matches at you every time you mention the word parking or fish and chips. That sounds very inappropriate. Anyway, look, I'm only joking. You know, I, you can be really sensitive and uh, yeah, well, you know that, don't you? I can't believe you're accusing me of being oversensitive. <laughs> anyway, let's crack on, shall we? As Richie said, in this episode, I meet up with one of my favourite business partners, uh, Simon Boyden, who's been uh, a, a part-time property developer for over 25 years. And during Always that time... better on my own anyway. <laughs> during that time, he's built over 50 units, ranging from small housing developments to uh, multi-million pound luxury homes, as well as doing countless conversions and flips along the way. He's also built up a large buy-to-let portfolio and knows uh, a thing or two about what it means to be a developer. So I asked Simon for his thoughts on uh, what were his biggest learnings on his journey that could benefit perhaps new or less experienced developers. Here's what he had to say. So here we are in a not-too-sunny Winchester having, I have to say, had just an excellent breakfast uh, here with my good friend Simon Boyden. Hello. And, uh, and Simon, one of the things, you know, you've been a developer now for uh, you know, getting on for 25 years. And one of the stories that I never tire of hearing is how you actually got into property development uh, for the first time, because it was, uh, it was perhaps quite an unusual journey. Yes, it was. Um, it was the early 90s. The country was in the grips of uh, uncertain times uh, economically like we have now. I had received a, a small inheritance which, um, being a 21-year-old uh, young man, I thought the best thing for that in, in inheritance was to run out to the local car showroom and put a deposit down on a, uh, a new Porsche. And uh, I'd been to uh, see the car and test-driven the car and actually had said to the gentleman, yes, I'll have that. Went down to collect the, the car and hand over my, uh, my cheque, uh, but was uh, stuck in a uh, traffic jam uh, on the way into... Uh, Loughborough. The traffic jam was uh, was a long one. Uh, it was a sort of jam that you have to stop and get out your car and have a wander around, etc., etc. Uh, I saw a for sale sign which I had noticed uh, having travelled on that road for a, a number of months for a building plot, and it was uh, for four semi-detached houses, three-bedroom houses. Right. And I knew nothing about building, literally nothing. Didn't know the process. I imagined what the process would be but knew nothing of the process. And in the space of perhaps an hour, something said, rather than put your £25,000 into a depreciating asset, why not try and do something with it? Create something. And really the seed was sown. I purchased the land. We built a, well, we started to build houses and then ran out of money, um, not knowing the process. And so you'd done this all completely Pretty much, we weren't filling out any guidelines or anything. It was just off the seat of your pants. If I, I would put it in the same way now, if you ask me a question on neuroscience, I would have the same level of understanding of neuroscience now as I did building right. then. Literally had no idea. But something, there was an interest there because I had bought my own house and was always curious about the process about developing and extending maybe a loft conversion. What can I, you know, what yeah. can I do with this? But the process of, of 
physically buying a house and what was needed and what the process was, what the systems were, what, the, what was the right way to do it, finding people, finding builders. I can honestly say I knew not one jot about the building process at that point. So you diverted away from the car dealership uh, once you got cleared of the traffic jam and what, and then just headed off pretty much to the estate agent? Went to the estate agent. Um, And how did that conversation go? Was that quite a straightforward... The estate agent was rather a stuffy old school, well, we would say an old school estate agent. And when a young man comes in of 21, I'm sure that they would be a little bit nervous. And and, and they were, there was a certain amount of uh, scepticism. The problem that they had was that they'd had this land, we'd subsequently found out this land had got planning permission a couple of three years before. Uh, It had been gently marketed and then sold. The deal didn't materialise because things were starting to, you know, interest rates, 12, 15%. The brakes went on everything and therefore the developer pulled out. And I could see that from the estate agent's particulars, they had the wrong price um, on their particulars. I think they had crossed the price down and uh, out (laughs) and, and, and put another lower price. So I was aware of the situation. I think on reflection, I probably could have got a slightly better deal mm-hmm. on the land, but I say. And you ended up, parted company with the cash, and you ended up with a, a parcel of land, some planning permission, and pretty much not much else in terms of your, your kind of professional team. You were, you were starting absolutely. from absolute absolutely. ground zero. Absolutely. So how did that work out for you? Well, um, I went to tell my mother. As <laughs> you do when you're 21. <laughs> mother was, uh, was quite surprised, um, and I'm putting it mildly. What on earth have you done that for? You don't know anything about building. And I remember cheerfully saying, yes, I know, isn't it great? (laughs) (laughs) But strangely, I wasn't phased because I could see what houses, and houses still sell, even in these times, houses still Mm -hmm. sell. You've just got to be, you've got to be more realistic, you've got to be cleverer, you've got to be sensible in terms of the what you're selling. Obviously, the market is completely different now as, as, as to where it was then, but um, I think that process was, after my mother had, had settled down and mm-hmm. she'd had a couple of glasses of something quite strong, it turns out that she knew a, a builder who lived two doors down. Right. And of course, we're in recession. They've not got a lot of work on. The conversation went along the lines of, I'm thinking of developing this, building this plot, I'm after a builder. And before I could say anything, he was very, very keen to do it. Right. He thought there were six months, eight months of work there. Even if it just meant paying his bills, that is what he was happy with. And the process started from that point. And during that period, I mean, one of the things that fascinates me about your story is that, you know, you've built uh, you know, 50 plus houses over a 25 year period, but you've, you've done it part time. And of course, in, yes. at that point, you, it wasn't, you gave everything up and focused on it. You were presumably juggling. I was still working. A, I had to. Day job. Um, I had to. I almost looked at, upon it to start with as a challenge, as a hobby. And, and to a certain extent, still do. I do enjoy it. You have to enjoy it. Um, it is more challenging now. Uh, there's more competition. There are other factors that have become um, uh, more challenging now than uh, than back then. But uh, I got I got through the first one. So with that knowledge, we've now got to where we are. Where mm. We are now. Fantastic. So as that um, that journey has gone on, one of the things that's because um, I, I see that as a sliding doors moment. That that kind of if you hadn't uh, very much so. been in that traffic jam, yeah. if you hadn't looked left and clocked the the for sale sign and and just had that thought, I guess things could have been very different for you. Well, it was. You're absolutely right. Because if the traffic jam wasn't there that day, I could I would have driven 
along, handed over my cheque to the car dealership, I would have had a period of time of, of fun with the Porsche. And then after three or four or five years, whatever it was, I would have been left with close to nothing. Uh, the, the, the decisions made at that particular time, I look at that time, go back to that time and think, how would have things have panned out if I'd carried on or not even got out the car yeah. or not even looked left to see the bright yellow for sale sign? Yeah. And, and from and from there you did that one and that was successful and then you presumably just thought to yourself well I'm quite good at this yes well I thought being 21 year old man I was good at most things uh, <laughs> so uh, very much so interestingly the uh, the estate agent the, the stuffy first estate agent warmed up quite a lot towards the end of the project he approached me and said Simon I've got something else and it was another development and we looked at that. Important lesson for me, we started to work more as a, as a team with regards to the estate agents. They're very important people to get on side, as are a lot of the professionals that you speak to in the, uh, and deal with it within the, within the business. And I presume at this stage, just, even just doing your second one, obviously you now had a builder that, was, yeah, that you'd worked with before. You had all the professionals that you needed for that first right. job. Yeah. And to a certain degree, and you had a track record with the agent, so all of a sudden you were quite a good bet for, doing, right. for doing more. That's right. There's, there's, there's that, uh, I'm very aware during the first, the first project that we did, that was a lot of people looking at me hmm. going, hmm, Are the wheels going to how's come this going to turn out? Yeah. And, and because of that comes with a little bit of pressure, uh-huh. that to me, I think a little bit of pressure is good. The motivation was great as well. So the, the two combining factors meant that by finding out to how to ask the right questions, we managed to develop an, uh, the first project. Because of the success we made of that first project, a second project happened. Uh, which was a different project that was five barn conversions. It didn't work uh, financially for me. That it was it was too big a job, so we had to think slightly outside the box in terms of well, how can we how can we try and fund this? And the the scenario in this particular case was, let's do the first one. Let's sell that to myself, mm-hmm. which then provides the working capital to then finish the lot. Right. You've then got a show house that you can say to people who 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 don't have the imag- uh, imagination perhaps how how it's going to look yep. you can then say look this is what I've done with mine by the way you can choose your kitchen if you want to before we put it in oh that's great I quite like that idea that appeals to, to different people there are things that will appeal to, to, to different customers right the way through that at that stage it actually again we stumbled across that that yeah. was the, the necessity of, of the first house that um, I sold effectively to myself actually opened up a, a few more avenues that I, I hadn't thought of previously Okay. And um, and again, that's part of the knowledge and the experience going forward um, with the with the process. And rolling that clock forward, obviously, since that time, I mean, you you've you've done quite a lot. Not only a lot of of built a lot of houses, but you've done it all part time, and um, you you've done quite a lot of diverse things, haven't mm-hmm. you? What what sort of things have you been? Well, a lot of things built? interest me, and and during the course of a life, different opportunities present themselves. Many times people think that uh, people who don't know you or see you an awful lot, they know that you're building houses, but they perhaps come to you with other things. So, for example, we had a, uh, a house that was offered to us which was not of mortgageable quality. 
Uh, it required an underpinning, etc. It, 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 when I say condemned, that's a strong. Uh, it, it hadn't. It was still habitable, but the you know the back wall was starting to come away, and 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 it wasn't deemed fit for mortgage purposes. So that presents itself with a, a challenge where we underpinned the back wall and 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 repinned it, and and then it, we got it to a stage where it was mortgageable, and we go from there. I have. Uh, some HMOs up in Loughborough which are let to, to students. All of these houses have been in a state of various different states of disrepair and the value has been adding to them, starting with a blank canvas, getting a good uh, architect on board, mm-hmm. um, talking to the council or the planning authorities to, to, to find out what is allowed and, and, and what is not and, and to really to develop develop those as within reason as much as you can. And you know those remain with me, and they're with us for uh, pension reasons uh, when uh, when I retire, if I ever retire. And that brings us to the kind of present day. We're sitting here in uh, in your glorious home mm. in, uh, mm. in in Winchester, which again you built, I guess, at the other end of the scale. But uh, yeah. but you've done quite a lot of a different range of of things. But interesting to hear that as you've gone on that journey, that the doors have opened, the opportunities have presented, been presented to you because people started to know yes. you for, for what you did. Well, yes, um, very much so. I have I have a, another business that when I'm not developing, I spend all my time at that business. An opportunity may, uh, or a chance conversation while out or while, while, while out socially can can bring a, uh, oh, a friend of mine's got a bit of garden, he's been thinking about it. And then you follow that process through. Yeah. It's, it's interesting, I've, I've never actively gone out and looked for a plot as such. In the in the early days of, of developing up in, in Loughborough in the East Midlands, with my relationship with, with a couple of estate agents, there was always something to go on to from the from to, to the next project. There was always something, uh, no matter what it was. And did you find, Simon, that having a, a, a sort of a small core of agents uh, that knew you, that, that you know, had the confidence mm. that there was you know, the relationship mm. there, and that that was all you needed uh, yes. rather than knowing 300 agents across the country? Very much so. The, the, the way that I have done it, which is, it's not exactly, I, I'm not being proactive in, in, in going out and finding property. When I moved down into the south, uh, um, I, I didn't do any development for for five or six years. I kept the houses up in in Loughborough, sort of ticking over and maintained them, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But you know, I had a young family; I just got married, young family, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. There wasn't enough hours in the day on top of my my regular job, so I've had to start restart the process while down in down south. That that whole process, and it, and it's it's quite interesting that relationship building. But we do have, I do have uh, architects and, and, and a builder and they, they know me for what I do. They know where I'm coming from. They still want to work with me, so I must be doing something right. I think the challenge for me, if this became my full-time job, you'd ha- I'd have to be more proactive uh, mm. and that would be part of the learning curve for me. Having said that, I don't think you need to be developing tens of houses a year. Uh, it de- depends where the, where the person's coming from, but for me, um, two or three really good opportunities a year, that's gonna keep me out of mischief. What do you see would be kind of the standout things that you've learned on that journey? Perhaps the things that you wish you'd known then, but you know now? Well, I think for me is very much the process, you've got to want to do the process. You've got to find it interesting, uh, you've got to be motivated to do it. It's not easy, especially now. There are a whole host of challenges and boxes to tick, 
etc., etc. It's uh, it's perhaps more time intensive now. But if you supply, if you surround yourself with good people, stay in touch with them. The site will require the development will require different levels of your input as you as it goes along. So when you're digging foundations, it's a series of trenches and concrete and it, that's that and there's not much to, to to see and do when the roof goes on and you've got to decide where you're putting light switches and lights and sockets and kitchens and things like that that's when perhaps your time is is most intensive and and you've got to be there for these people to keep the job moving along but but people is on every level the quality of person and I've seen it on one of our uh, one of our developments early on I was young at the time, I didn't have the probably management skills where we've, we've employed a labourer or the builders employed a labourer who his English perhaps was a, a little bit more fruity than um, perhaps um, it should have been. And on this particular day, we had, unbeknown to us, somebody turned up on site wanting to have a look around the house and uh, was met by this labourer who didn't know what was going on didn't care too much what was going on, just wanted to get to four o'clock and get home. And the weakness in the chain was him because that put off that buyer. But we did know, I did know who the buyer was um, or found out who the buyer was, went to apologize, bunch of flowers, really sorry, new to this business, etc., etc. We've uh, and, and we actually, we didn't sell them the house, but we rescued the situation because we had somebody else interested in, in, the, in the house, but but I'd much rather have two people interested than none at all. So, so that was that was a lesson going forward. Although you may not be in direct control of that, surround yourself with the best people. I think it's, it's very interesting what you say. I couldn't agree more that the uh, that every aspect of development is a people business. From the the relationship Absolutely. that you have with the the agent, and Absolutely. I think I've always found it reassuring actually that. In terms of the number of the amount of shoe leather that you need mm. to put down, mm. um, you, you need to be focused, you need to be organised, but Definitely. actually you don't necessarily need to be trying to entertain and, and juggle yeah. a million relationships. It's actually being able to work out, you know, establish some good ones. Yes. Uh, where you've you've built that rapport, you've they've got confidence in you and Absolutely. your team, Absolutely. and then the opportunities uh, will arrive. Particularly if you've then got your your feelers out, all the people that you know know what you do. Absolutely, and and if you have a good relationship with a builder, and he's toying up with, he's looking at his work for for, for the next twelve months, and Simon Boyden comes along and says, "Look, Mister Builder, I've." I've got planning permission for this. So how about this? They're going to come to you rather than than perhaps the um, the unknown other inquiries that they may have. So these people, uh, you know, teamwork is, is is everything. Get yourself a good team. And even now that constantly involves because people people move away. Their situation changes. You know, children, uh, they they uh, family uh, commitments and lifestyle commitments and and retiring and you know so so it's a constantly. So it's almost like managing a. Football team, it's it, it, or a rugby team. Um, Interesting, or, or, yeah, 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 absolutely. You need grafters. You need your creative people. And of course, the good thing is that, that when you're doing development, the size of the project generally mean that you can afford good people because the, the margins are in the in, yeah. in the project. Absolutely. If you're just doing uh, smaller flips or just light refurbs, then yeah. that tends to be something where you, yeah, you've got a, a small team. Yeah. You're in the hands of perhaps you, you're. You know, cost is a, is a, is yeah, a much absolutely. bigger concern. I think one of the things that um, you're very keen on is goes back to that thing about the agent because they're there at the start before you've necessarily acquired the project 
and of course they're right at the end and throughout as well, aren't they? they they're, they're they part are, of the Well, the really, theme. they are constantly there. Um, you, you, if you take the, the development as only part of it, because no matter what stage you are in your development, you'll always welcome a call from your friendly estate agent saying, Simon, I've got something here that might be a bit of you. What do you think? He's going to get a, a fee for that, and the fee for if, if the project is a is a viable one, a fee for selling those the, mm-hmm. the end results. So, if you can nurture that, you know, you'd much rather have two or three of those yeah. inquiries coming in than none at all. It's different if you have to go out and find them, Definitely. because a lot of people knock on their doors, of course, and try and find them, and. You need to try and separate yourself from uh, from that in a, in a certain in a certain way. Well, I think a lot of the value in those estate agent relationships quite often. Okay, having deals come to you is is one thing, but actually then having the input in terms of what am I going to build, mm. what sort oh, of finish, very much so. absolutely, what's the target market, what absolutely. am I going to sell it for, absolutely, and then uh, at the end, obviously, you're relying on them to sell it. That's right. But of course, getting them involved in the middle as well is yeah. quite a great way of, yeah. of getting their buy-in, their um, almost emotional attachment to the That's project, because right. they've seen it right yeah. from start to finish, they're part Absolutely. of the team. Uh, they were there in, uh, they brought the idea to us, yeah. and, and they've helped nurse it through and grow it, and, and um, they, they have to be on the front foot at the end of the project to sell it to the, to, to, to the customer. Yeah. And, and it's important that you find out from the estate agents, what are the things that are turning the local buyers on? Is it larger bedrooms? Is it is it larger kitchen? Is it the design, perhaps? That whole process, they are integral. And you need that at the start when you do your numbers, because if they're mm-hmm. telling you that actually, you know, this is where the market will only support a kind of mid-level finish, yes. and you've gone out and thinking, yeah. well, I'm gonna, where mm-hmm. am I going to get the marble mm-hmm. from for mm-hmm. the bathrooms? Mm-hmm. You're in a, yeah, you're in a difficult state. Absolutely. So, so yeah, that's uh, they can definitely yeah. assist with the yeah. bottom line, can't mm-hmm. they? Absolutely, most definitely. Uh, other things that you've you've picked up, uh, I know that we've talked about it before. Your your kind of systems have have evolved uh, from being <laughs> being, <laughs> being non-existent. <laughs> <laughs> well, How important are they to you now in terms of the process that you go through when you evaluate things and and all the way through the development process? Well, I thought my systems were pretty good. They start with a blank piece of paper. And you could crudely say back of the fat packet workings, what's reasonable, what can we get here, what are we likely to be able to buy it for, what is the development cost, what are the likely other costs, what is the GDV? And then, you know, if, if, if there's a bit of daylight between what it costs you and what you can sell it for, then you can then start, the project becomes more uh, interesting. I think what I've seen, it's been apparent that my level of workings out, my systems, my processes, at the very beginning of a project in terms of wanting to know what the local market is supporting, etc., etc. It's okay, it's okay in a state agent saying, yeah, you can get X, Y, Z for that plot. Hmm. When your own findings are, say, are suggesting that the, the, the figure is 15% less, uh, well, there's your, there's your margin, margin gone hmm. um, because of a, a, a five-second statement. You need to be able to prove it. So, you know, I know that working in the past with, with your good self, that... Your, your systems are so so much thorough with the market appraisal, for example, than, uh, than I have been in the past. I'd say part of that is born out of laziness. Because <laughs> one thing I, I really hate doing is, is doing viewings where, where we don't end up buying. Yeah. Um, because that feels, uh, you've got to kiss a few frogs, that's, it goes without saying. Yeah. But actually, uh, what's, what's actually where you want to get to is to do as much 
uh, we joke about it uh, yeah. about doing it in your pajamas but yeah. ultimately that that exercise that you do where you evaluate things at home uh, yeah. of an evening going yeah. through yeah. and then just yeah. seeing if things float the, the better that you can get at that yeah yeah no the i less, agree i agree you do i agree and i and, and i'm still learning and also the best work i often find that i do is is those evenings is those early mornings is those those times recently we've had a, a development which initially sounded very interesting it was very exciting i don't know about uh, uh, anybody listening but if uh, if it, it for me if there's something that's um, that's looking pretty promising I, I can survive off four hours sleep and i'm uh, you know three o'clock four o'clock in the morning a nice cup of coffee that's when i do a lot of my work the frustrating thing with the, uh, with the with the recent project is it hasn't quite turned out to be what it is but you need to do as you say kiss a few frogs it's i i look at it slightly differently it's a, it's, a, it's a funnel and you pour you pour all your inquiries in at the top and you may see 10 or 15 uh we get to know about 10 or 15 projects but only one drips out the bottom yes and that's all you need from my point of view I, I'm looking for one or two projects, um, yeah, because it's 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 a hobby. It's a it's probably a bit more than a hobby. I enjoy, I enjoy it, and of course there is a financial uh, gain at the end, hopefully, normally. But uh, but sometimes that relate uh, that ratio may change completely. Uh, you may get twenty or thirty that you look at or you get to know of, and you think, oh, that's not what I'm after. It's not what mm. I'm after. I'm after. And that the, the, then you put yourself under pressure to almost try and make things work. Yep. Which, which, and you, you know if you go down that route yeah. and you buy something with a, perhaps there's a little bit of hope value in there, there's a bit of, well, if I can just get an extra... Optimistic yes, assumptions. And, and it doesn't work out and you're, you're left working for, for less than you think it's worth, uh, uh, less than you think you hoped it's worth, uh, you know, sure as eggs are eggs, yeah. that, that little nugget comes in at that point and you, you kick yourself many, many times. Simon, thank you for that. Uh, amazing to get that level of insight because I think a lot of people look at the, the property development journey and of course it's interesting to, to hear the journey that started with no experience, no training, yeah. nothing in place yeah. and then you've just built it up, learned it as you've gone along. Yeah. And I'd like to think that with people getting into property development for the first time now, rather than diverting away from the, uh, the Porsche dealership at the outset, <laughs> um, have a bit of training, have a bit of knowledge, get the benefit. Of, of the experience of people that have been there and done it and that way you can avoid some of those uh, some of those pitfalls yeah. well uh, thank you so much for your time today Simon My pleasure. great to see you great to uh, hear those insights and look forward to catching up again with you very soon my pleasure so there we have it some great tips from Simon so Richie what were the key takeaways for you from what Simon shared with us sir? okay well I think let's uh, let me just sort of think of three things here so First one is importance of your professional team, particularly estate agents. I thought that was a, was a really good point that Simon made. And take your time to go on site and speak to the people at the coalface. Yeah. You know, don't don't just um, put on odd phone call. Get in there, get to know people, understand people. So those relationships with estate agents is clearly something he's he's done it very effectively and capitalised on that. So I thought that was a really good point to make. But also getting that relationship going with people that you might not ordinarily speak to. There's going to be contractors and subbies on site. That, yes. That it just to get that goodwill and that relationship. It's all about relationships, yeah, all the way through. So, yeah, as you say, whether it's your contractor, whether it's your architect, you know, you've got to better get on and, and, and they've got to know where you're about. You've got to know what they're about and so you can work together. So this this relationship thing, professional team, particularly the agents I, I picked up on was, was really good. 
Uh, second point that uh, for me that came out of it is it's possible uh, to do it, uh, you know, by the seat of your pants, as Simon said, but it's a lot easier if you can get trained. You know, Simon is proof that you can be a successful part-time property developer and have a day job as well, which, yeah. which was interesting. You know, he, he's got a day job, he does other stuff, and he does property development. And uh, as he said, you could do it by the seat of your pants, but actually go out there and get trained. You know, years ago, from, from my point of view, and I've been in this business now for 35 years, you couldn't get trained. There wasn't property development training as such. You know, I got trained as a, as a chartered engineer, so that's a slightly different take. And I learned property development. But these days, there's so much property training out there. You know, you... you you know, you're kidding yourself if you think you should go into this without getting trained in some way. And so, you know, you, there's some really good stuff. Go and get yourself trained. And I thought that was a really, really good point. And probably my third takeaway from it uh, was be available for your team. I think that's more or less what he says. So, you know, even if you've got a project manager and we we, you know, we talk about that a lot, having a project manager, you know, outsourcing that, leveraging your time, but make sure that you're always on hand to answer questions and make decisions. So this important decision-making process, you need that. So as he said, be available. Don't just sort of brush it off. I've got a project manager, he'll deal with that because sometimes those questions are going to need you as the developer to make those decisions. So that was my sort of third point. I really like that as well. Fantastic. Richie, thank you for that. And uh, thanks also to Simon for being a good sport and agreeing to share his knowledge with us. I'm afraid that's all we've got time for in this episode. Uh, but do join us again next time when we'll be giving you the inside track on another part of the property world. In the meantime, uh, please feel free to check out our other episodes. And of course, you can visit our website, which is at propertyceo.co.uk. But until next time, it's goodbye from us both. Goodbye.